how did you experience and what's your view on remote working, how it has impacted the way you manage conflict and innovation in your organization or as a, as a leader? We first start with Sophie, then Kirsty, then Sylvia, and then Rob. So I give you the microphone, Sophie. Well, thank you very much, Susan, and uh, thank you very much for also inviting me to what promises to be a very uh, interesting panel, rethinking operation, operational effectiveness with uh, what I see being professionals from Greece to Kenya and from Japan to LA, uh, while I uh, say hello from, from the beautiful Luxembourg. Um, I've seen many familiar names and faces joining our virtual meeting space, so of course, I also speak under the close supervision of some of the ESM colleagues that I see here in, in the room, in the virtual room, and uh, as there are also some lawyers amongst them, and while I understand from Suzanne that everything will be on the record, I wish to add that a, dis a disclaimer that nothing of what I say can be used against me after this session. Uh, no, but all joking apart, uh, as Suzanne mentioned, I'm uh, indeed the COO at the European Stability Mechanism in charge of the three divisions, IT, facilities management, business strategy, project management, and HR and organization. In addition, I'm also the leader of our uh, so-called incident management team, which is a team that deals with our internal pandemic response so you can imagine that uh, this topic is very close to my heart. And um, as a crisis resolution mechanism, I think efficiently dealing with uncertainty and conflict and remaining agile and innovative are for us not just nice to have at DSM. It's critical for, for, for everything we do, for our operations, our mission, our success. And it may be interesting to know also for those who do not know us, we're, we're very small in size. We're around 200 staff, but we count more than 40 different nationalities among our people coming from very diverse professional backgrounds, having worked in both the public private sector, representing all workforce generations, and which makes DSM, of course, a very multicultural and diverse workplace environment. So I would say already in normal times, working in such a diverse and fast-paced environment means that conflict is inevitable. And, and I would say even necessary to stimulate innovation, efficiency, and growth. But um, this pandemic crisis and, and, and the related move to remote working uh, by, by very large parts of our organization over now an extended period of time is, of course, an extreme test of our readiness and resilience, I would say, both on an individual and an organizational level. Because what we see is that in the disruption of crisis, there's, I would say, great potential for, for fear, for friction, for conflict. But uh, on the other hand, in my view, there's also a real opportunity, an opportunity to be aspirational and innovative um, because the adversity of the situation can, in my experience, also really unite a team to rise, rise to the occasion, uh, learn from these experiences and perform at its best. But here, I would put immediately a caveat, uh, a but, there is a but. I think we as leaders need to create the right condition for such positive, uh, for such a positive energy, positive transformation, because only if we can shift the needle from the instinctive fear in such a crisis and the anxiety that surrounds it, or perhaps even the alienation into, we need to actually move the needle into more positive territory. And I think then we can create a healthy conflict culture where we also have, I would say the motivation to continue pushing ourselves, to continue learning, to continue adopting new ways of working. And, uh, and I, now you, you may say, well, Sophie, that sounds all good and fine in, uh, in theory, but what in practice, so how has it impacted TSM? I would say there is not a magical recipe here. Um, let me highlight some of the conditional efforts that we've been doing during the crisis uh, and related remote working to mitigate the impact of this crisis. 
and how we've even already started learning from it. Well, firstly, I would say, um, I, I would highlight actually the unshakable commitment to our core values and principles for us. This is not a time for politics, it's about people and uh, the safety of our people comes first. And we ensure that all our decisions reflect that. And for us, this has been and still is our top priority. Um, in addition, we also call for both empathy and positive action to guide our people through this. Uh, stay positive, uh, be aspirational, because we also see in addition to being a health crisis, it's also a very, an emotional crisis. Uh, we see, of course, that the rates of stress and anxiety the potential for, and the potential for conflict are higher than ever. And in such situations, we, uh, people often operate from fear, uh, contributing negative energy, perhaps even sharing worst case scenarios. And uh, here is uh, where our leaders need to reassure and encourage people to move indeed that needle to more positive territory. Um, there are, of course, many conditions that affect us all and that are beyond our control. Um, but we need to create such an environment of psychological safety where, where really our people can show vulnerability. Uh, we see extremely challenging times, and I believe all the people here probably joining the session uh, would dare say that we at some point in time are, all have been confronted with very difficult emotions, feeling anxious, confused, overwhelmed, powerless. And uh, we really try to promote at DSM the fact that showing such emotions, asking for help, which is often seen as a sign of weakness, uh, but in my view, requires real courage and trust. It's not easy. And we try to really mitigate those emotions uh, together with our people uh, and, uh, and perhaps even externally with our stakeholders, uh, because we believe that this really creates enduring bonds and also provides our people with a sense of belonging. And then thirdly, um, what I would perhaps as a third element want to highlight is the need to ensure that also diversity and inclusion remains a top priority also during this crisis. Because I think in addition to keeping our people safe and ensuring sort of physical and the psychological safety, people need to feel engaged, stimulated and included. And I think only then will they be able to bring their ingenuity and, and potential to work and really deal positively, uh, as you mentioned, it's, uh, Suzanne, the, the positive, healthy conflict culture. Um, and I think in these remote circumstances, it's of course not easy. Uh, leading inclusively during these challenging times is harder. Um, it's human nature to, for example, also default in, in this remote setting to, to people who feel familiar, who feel safe, and uh, with perhaps the fewer casual conversations uh, and water cooler moments. Some people may find it harder to connect with colleagues or even get access to, to, to their leaders, their managers, to make their voice heard. And that's why for us, it's also critical we, the impact uh, to mitigate the impact of, of this remote working through staying in very close contact with all team members uh, to nip potential feelings of alienation in the bud, allow for constructive conflict and to ensure that not every, everyone not only feels, but also really is included. And I think these are the, 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 the impacts that we feel, of course, are very more, are more on an emotional level, but I believe that the decision made and the actions taken in such trying times will resonate far beyond the present and uh, the way that we respond now will shape our organizations for years to come. So therefore focusing on such elements like care, connection, inclusion 
in my view, are not only the right thing to do, but it's also good for business. It, it makes our organization healthier today and better prepared for future turbulence. So that's why I, when, when being invited to this panel, I, I immediately felt very enthusiastic and I very much look forward to, to hearing uh, the views of, of, of my, my fellow uh, panelists, of, of the colleagues from CEDAR and also of all of you here uh, in this, in this uh, virtual room. Very much look forward to uh, this discussion. Thank you, Sophie. Very, very good. Thank you. Kirsty. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks. And Sophie ruined my start because I really <laughs> hoped to disagree with her and at least create a little bit of conflict in the room. And I couldn't find, I tried to take some notes, I couldn't find anything to disagree with. But maybe maybe I build, and also for context, um, the work that we're doing with Suzanne and the work that I'm doing in general uh, has two levels for me. So I have a small specialist team. Uh, but we're responsible apparently for the culture and inclusion and diversity at AXA and that's uh, 54 countries, 160,000 people. So that's kind of difficult already to imagine how we might even imagine that we would influence that. Um, but I want to bounce first of all off of what you said, Sophie, about inclusion. And of course, uh, inclusion is a little bit my background, so I could talk for the whole hour about that and I won't, but I agree that inclusion is a clear part. And what I observe um, and like I say, the, the work applies to my small team, but also to the way that we think about the, the change across the world. We have some experience already of remote working because we are a global organization. So we're not used, we're used to not being in the room, but we're definitely not used to this and not being together. Uh, and I think there is a, a risk of people feeling excluded, definitely. But I also think this is, and I'm going to make a big statement, but I think it's a change of a life, it's a chance of a lifetime or a chance of a career at least to impact culture. So this is a break in our normal way of working and that gives us an extraordinary opportunity to come back and rebuild in the right way. And AXA, that's what we want to focus on. We want to take the things that we've learned here and rebuild a new working culture that will be a little bit more remote because I think we will all be a little bit revisiting the way that we work and, and using what we've learned in the positive sense to, to leverage it well. Um, I liked what you said, Sophie, about conflicts being necessary. And I think one of the things we've observed is there's a risk that we lose some of the conflict. Now, there are two possibilities huh? and everything I'm going to say is a contradiction. So either you lose the conflict because people are behind the screen and it's a little bit more difficult to interrupt. It's a little bit more difficult to create that, that healthy debate that goes on. And on the other hand, what can happen is because we're not quite together and we don't get the, the clues, the visual clues, the body language, the, the smell that you get when you're in the room of what's going on, that conflicts are misunderstood. Um, and I think that leads me really to my first point that we've observed is that we, we move a lot from implicit to explicit. So communication, team building, everything that happens from a manager because you're together, because it happens naturally, now need to actually be really thought about and explicitly done and conflict needs to be explicit. So we need to come back after a meeting and check in and say, was that okay? Did you agree? Were you quiet because it was okay? Or were you quiet because you didn't feel that you could make your feeling known? So there's a lot of moving from those implicit cultural things to explicit, which is wonderful for me because I don't know how else you talk about culture. So all of those things that managers should have been doing well in the past, that they thought they knew that it was hard to tell them they were getting wrong, now sometimes they start to feel it. So I think one thing is a move to an explicit. And then it's very linked. It's almost saying the thing, same thing, but even more explicitly to talk about those things that we couldn't talk about. And again, Sophie, you mentioned mental health. And I think mental health, depending on which country you're in, I'm, I'm based in France. It's not quite the same as the UK, where we are a little bit more at ease talking about things like mental health. We can have a discussion about 
checking in with people, about making those emotional bonds, and in the same way about conflict. So it brings to the table the discussions that might have been hard. Uh, and you'll know, Sophia, you were head of HR before. Some of the HR topics, you know, they're the easy things, they're the soft things, they're the last thing on the agenda. Right now, we're top of the agenda. So let's take that opportunity and start talking about conflict, talking about mental health, talking about including people, um, as, as you said. And, and that gives us a chance to change and be, and I want to make the link because I realized the question was about innovation as well. I think the innovation thing is double-sided. This, Whenever there's a, a big change, the chance and the opportunity for innovation is huge. So I see a great increase in innovation, and yet I see a great challenge to be innovative and creative and together. So I think this is, a, this is an ongoing challenge that we're going to have, but the fact that we have a chance to be more explicit about our decisions, more explicit about the things that are in business are implicit and difficult to talk about is a great opportunity for all of us as leaders to review the way we work together, the way we include, the way we're innovative, and finally, and very importantly, the way we manage conflict. Thanks, Sophie. It was a great intro for me. <laughs> thank you, Kirsty. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And over to Sylvia. Well, thank you. Yes. I'd like to, to, to pick up on two things, uh, Sophie and, and Kirsty. That, uh, that impressed me and that is very much present also in, 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 at the EIB, European Investment Bank, where I work, is caring, connecting and inclusion, being that we've all realized that this is becoming more and more part of like essential leadership and it's good for business. And the other part is indeed, and I will say a few things later on, is that what used to be implicit now has to be explicit. So what, what was so easy around the water cooler or a cup of coffee, now how do we do that? And a lot of what I have seen is that we have to make it explicit. We have to actually put words to it, which what, what came with a gesture. Now, um, let me share a little bit about uh, the European Investment Bank and our experience. Of course, like for everyone else or organizations, um, the uh, switch to remote work has, been, has had a huge impact on us. Luckily, we we're already pretty well equipped. Many of our employees had uh, laptops and were already teleworking occasionally. So we were equipped and many managers were used to it. A good and innovative impact has been that those managers who were not so used to it or hesitant had to like get along. And we actually got the feedback from many, oh, uh, I didn't like this before, but I must admit it works. So maybe we should try more of that. And, and there also I would, to, would like to link with uh, Kirsty and, and Sophie. It's a huge opportunity for innovation. So we have to actually to seize that, to bring more flexibility, flatter hierarchies and, um, and, and more uh, like the human side, the EQ into it that where previously people said, we can't talk about this. And now we have learned, well, actually we have to talk about it. Now, um, interesting also is I used to be responsible for organizational health at the bank. And what I was doing there was um, uh, counseling, um, conflict management, and uh, the connecting and caring uh, next to also the medical side. But because I did a lot on conflict management advisory to leaders and also on like strategic initiatives, how we can improve the European Investment Bank as an institution, uh, people asked me like a couple of years ago, Silva, do you want to take over leadership development, like drive 
leadership development. So that's what I'm doing now. And in the lockdown, uh, first lockdown in particular, people came to us, like managers came to us, what do we do now? It's really difficult. They were already stretched before and now they had to switch to like, how do I keep uh, keep cohesion, cohesion in this uh, situation now? How do I take care of my people when I don't see them? How do I distribute and manage work fairly? And very importantly, how do I deal with tensions in my team? And how do I deal with difficult people? Uh, for instance, I had this one manager who I had been supporting before. He said, you know, this guy who was always a bit difficult, I have to have a conversation with him. And I feel that he's kind of hiding behind his computer. He doesn't even want to put on the video. Um, and he's becoming more cocky than usually. So how do I do that? Normally I would have invited him to my office, like with my body language shown him like, now we sit down and well, we have a conversation. How do I do it now? And that's, that's where the explicit comes in. So I would like us to talk with a video, for instance. Uh, and the explicit can also be in positive terms. How do I create safety with my words? Talking about it. Now, uh, going a bit into the details, what we did at the start is we created a guide for managers, how to manage remotely, covering um, results, relationships and resilience. So again, like the caring, connecting, the relationships, the communication very strongly, but of course also how do we create and maintain results. And one very important thing was that that is actually related to conflict is how do we create clarity? Because our managers were often used to like, we say it in the corridor, uh, we clarified it at the meeting. Now, when we don't have that so regularly, we have to be clearer about agreements. And that is actually fantastic news because when we are clear on agreements, we prevent conflict because we really have a solid foundation for the work. And we can even come back to that for accountability later on. So these were very positive lessons. Um, let me let me also say a few things about like what has been difficult. Um, we saw that while there was less friction, there was also more story building. Like people being at home and on, on dit en français, on se fait un film. Uh, we, we're making a film in the mind about what the other person is doing and saying. And whereas at the office, we could check on that more easily at the remote situation. For the manager, the challenge was, how do I go to my people and say, are you sure about this? Have you talked to that person? Could you please talk to them? Or um, also be aware of your assumptions. And so there's an active work needed from the manager to bring people together. And um, if I boil down the explicit, maybe to two things, is what I've been telling managers again and again is be more attentive in your observations and be more intentional in your actions. So whereas before it was easier to observe something, now it's more difficult. So we have to really watch out and be attentive. And we have to be um, more intentional. Like, how do I create safety hmm? in a conversation? Before I ask the person for, co for a coffee, and now ah, I can't do this. How do I do it then? So I say a few words. I actually ask about how they're doing. I share about myself. I clarify my intentions for the meeting. Um, and um, I show that I can, I use my voice in a certain way. So if I want to create a relaxed atmosphere, I, I'm making sure that I use also relaxed voice and not 
like showing my own tantrums that I feel because I have to talk to that person. So everything there has to be more intentional. And that is there where leadership training comes also into help managers actually do that. And um, maybe one thing that is also really important finally is when a manager has to mediate between uh, people, facilitate a conversation. What I've started to tell people is really watch out, look at the relationship, not only at like Bill and Mary, because if you look at Bill and then at Mary, again, you can undermine the relationship and you can create um, feelings of insecurity among them. Is she siding with Bill or is she siding with Mary? What's going on here? Whereas when you speak to the relationship, like even ask questions like what does the relationship, what does your relationship need? How is your relationship doing? You create actually the connection between the two people. You, you work from a place of neutrality. That is maybe something it's useful in any case, but I would say as a tip for the virtual work world, that is even more important. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Wow, that was a lot of good advice and tips already. Thank you. And Rob, um, you have- Thank you, thank you very much. I, I mean, um, my, I'm going to resist the, the temptation, not least because Suzanne will just tell me off, just to say, um, well, I follow three great speakers, everything that they've just said, let's move on um i won't do that but uh i, I do apologize for any repetition or just echoing of, of some of the great stuff that has been said thus far uh, that said um at minerva we, we've come at this from a slightly different um perspective in terms of uh, a lot of our work is to do with community and company conflict rather than internal uh, company conflict and so that tends to be our start point funny old thing though uh, quite often this leads us back to actually looking at, at internal issues because whilst, whilst companies quite legitimately will be asking themselves the question, what can we do to, to change the conflict that, that we're involved in? Well, yes, we can help you with that, but maybe you also need to ask yourself, how are we as a company going to change in light of this conflict? this conflict and that 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 feedback mechanism is absolutely critical if if conflict is going to be transformative uh, and have all of the positives and opportunities that, that that we've talked about and i think that's one of the one of the points i think i'd i'd, I'd just reinforce in terms of setting the context for for, for a few subsequent issues understanding the environment in which you're operating is it complicated or is it complex and they are very different and they have huge implications on the way in which you go about dealing with things and and operating and i think quite often we see people and companies operating uh, and have very efficient ways of operating for complicated situations but but not necessarily for the for the complex and in that in that complicated area um, we have a desire to control and you can control complicated things, but you can't necessarily do that, that with, the, with the complex. And the other problem with, with operating in complexity and the, 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 the ramifications of, of COVID for all of us is thrown us all into to complex situations. That is, that is where, where, we are, where we are operating. But that the resilience becomes a, a, an issue of, of adaptation rather than returning to, to, to a norm. And this resonates with the, 
with with the innovation that's required in, in terms of of dealing with with conflict it's all about adaptation rather than the, the returning to a, to a waypoint uh, and this 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 somebody's made this point in terms of dealing with that hierarchies and networks in terms of how your internal companies are structured uh, hierarchies are great for the complicated but if you if you want to really be able to operate in the complex you need to have a much more networked uh, uh, approach to doing things and so so all of that that one of the problems that comes in with the hierarchies of course is is the power structures that that go with that and if you want to move from one to the other you, you know that that is not a simple thing to do so Trying to, to, to set that as a little bit of context, the, the three points I would make, I think there are huge opportunities that come from the remote working piece of this in terms of done correctly, giving voice to those who didn't have a voice before. And I think that can therefore greatly increase your level of understanding and getting different perspectives and potentially being able to, 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 to look in the mirror and see something that you didn't see before, but perhaps is a more genuine perspective of, of your situation because it, it's had more colour put into it because you've ultimately just been able to get more data points. Um, there are issues with that. Um, uh, not least of which is, is how you gather some of that. But actually, if you can put those structures in place and enable some of that, then, then there is a real opportunity out of this. And, and you'll also potentially get more ideas flowing through of how to, how to negotiate situations, how to navigate situations. And again, I think the remote working opportunity done correctly gives you more opportunity to conduct what I would call safe to fail experiments, because you don't necessarily have to do everything in, uh, in, in the full gaze of, of, of all eyes around the office. You can do things a little bit more discreetly which if you're looking to do internal change and navigate power structures, you're gonna get things wrong. And that's why conducting different safe to fail experiments might be a good approach. Because again, in complexity, you don't know what the answer is. You've got to go out and discover it. You can't know the answer. And actually the answer might evolve as you go through that approach. So related to that, what are, I, I would question, therefore, if you want to go down that, that, that method, how do policies, how do your policies allow it? Again, coming back to this idea of control, when there's a shock to the system, our natural instinct is we want more control, we want to bring things close, we want to damage limitation, all of that good stuff that happens in response to a crisis. But in terms of then becoming resilient and adapting, um, do your have you put in place a whole load of policies that stop bad things from happening or are they actually enabling good things to happen and again i think that's a good challenge that maybe companies can ask themselves particularly around some of their some of their their remote working practices how are people doing things organically what's the stuff you are not seeing up the chain that that might be uh, a very much better way to operate and that people are working around your policies because they haven't been correctly adapted or they're not, they're not adapting quickly enough in this dynamic situation. And then my final point is, I, it's, it's slightly off, off centre from the remote working, but, but conflict in the virtual dimension. And I think this is something that's really become accelerated uh, as, we, as remote working has increased. Um, understanding that the virtual landscape 
that you're operating in. The, 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 the old conflict um, sort of dynamics of understanding positions, interests and needs or behaviours, attitudes and values, but that, that, that uh, sort of iceberg approach to understand those different bits, you, one needs to understand, understand that in the virtual dimension as well. And I think as we communicate much more in that, that area, getting uh, much more nuanced about it is going to be critical because conflict is happening there. You will be involved in it. And for example, different platforms, do it, different platforms in which you might be getting into the, that conflict. It's, it's like going to a different country. How well do you understand the platform? How well do you understand the language language that's used in that platform, the culture that's used in that platform. And so conflict management in a virtual dimension rather than a than a remote working um, scenario is something that I think that we, we need to become, is going to become a, a much more important skill set and something that we need to, to very much develop. That's me, thank you. Fantastic, thank you, Robert. And thanks to all of you.